friends, good morning. I want to also give a shout out to friends who are worshiping with us online or folks may hear this message through our podcast later on in the week. My name is Adam and I love being the senior pastor here and I'm so glad that you've made worship a priority this week. I wonder, you ever value something more after you find out how much it costs? <laughs> oh, I didn't know it cost that much. I better take care of this. Uh, when I was in undergrad in college, Whatever the attendance policy was by that professor is what I would match, right? So their attendance policy or lack of one would determine how much I attended class or did not, right? Yeah, I'm getting a boo from my teacher wife. I'm bearing my, bearing my soul here for my folks. <laughs> so if the professor said you can miss five classes without penalty, guess how many I'd miss? Five, that's right. Uh, not a trick question. If there was no policy, I'd m- miss a lot more than that. Well, that went fine, uh, kind of. Uh, but my tune changed when I started paying off my student loans. Right, because then I understood, oh, this costs a lot of money, which I didn't understand at 19 or whatever. And then I was like, well, I wish I would have gone more. Sometimes we value something more when we understand how much it costs. Today, what I hope we'll discover together as we study God's word is that sin has a cost and forgiveness had a price. You know, my number two strength is positivity. I think the good news of Jesus is called good news for a reason. There's not a lot of times where I think people need to be reminded of how how messed up we are and how sinful we are. And yet, it's important to, to reflect on these things. And that's what the season of Lent is all about. So we had Maundy Thursday. We'll tell you about that as we get closer, but that's from a Latin word, mundatu, which means command, because Jesus said a new command I give you. But, so that's one odd word. The other one is Lent, right? Not the stuff in your dryer or locations on your body that aren't appropriate for me to reference. <laughs> Lent is uh, from an old English word, Uh, that means spring season. And it's the 40 days, not counting Sundays, leading up to Easter. So Lent is a season in the tradition of the church where we focus on uh, reflection and repentance as we lead up to the celebration of the resurrection on Easter. And so as we prepare to celebrate Jesus on Easter, we're gonna be diving deep into the events that preceded Easter, into the crucifixion, Jesus' death on the cross. And we're calling it cross-examination, The cross is one of the most universally recognized symbols in the world, but do we understand its meaning? So our hope is that in this season of Lent, that after several weeks of this, we would emerge from Lent uh, with a deeper grasp of the cross's beauty, brutality, significance, and meaning. In a cross-examination, the witness who has already testified is questioned again to verify their credibility. So each week we're gonna be looking at questions related to the cross. And this week's is, how did Jesus become the Lamb of God? How did Jesus become the Lamb of God? Our scripture, uh, which this whole sermon is about, could take up an entire weekend on just 13 little words from John 1, 29. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. These words were spoken by John the Baptist and we read them in the book of John, although those were two separate Johns. Uh, The gospel of John is a biography about Jesus and his good news. Uh, Jesus who lived briefly, died violently and rose unexpectedly. And in the very first chapter of the book, we meet John the Baptist and he was a, a cousin of Jesus and he had kind of his own following himself. We'll get into that more in a second. 
John was sort of an announcer of, of Jesus who would be coming soon. And that day came in the first chapter of John. So we'll start in verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So we're gonna break down this sentence just bit by bit. So first we're gonna look at John exclaiming, look, what, was, what did he mean by that? Now there's good reason to think that that wasn't the first time that John the Baptist had saw Jesus or met him because they were cousins. They, they, they were probably pretty familiar with each other. But in this moment, he recognizes Jesus as the promised Messiah or savior. Earlier in the chapter, John the Baptist is questioned by the Pharisees, the Jewish officials. He had been kind of creating a stir, uh, getting a bit of a following. And so they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. So John the Baptist was recognized as a prophet in his own right, had his own following. And so the Pharisees ask him his identity. His response is linking the prophecies about the coming savior or Messiah with his own ministry. And then he links those prophecies to Jesus with his proclamation, look. Other translations say, behold. I think that's kind of a little more, maybe a word we use less often brings a little more of a dramatic flair. Behold. And so what was he beholding? What was he telling us to look at, to behold? The Lamb of God. Now the Bible's full of agricultural imagery because the events contained in the Bible took place in an agrarian context. The word lamb appears 147 times in the Old Testament. I've got my fancy little chart from my software for you. There it is. Aren't you impressed? Oh, thanks. Okay. <laughs> Dying on the vine. Uh, moving on. So 147 times in the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, the word lamb is used 45 times uh, on the next page here. So often in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible lambs appear, uh, the word lamb is used in a sacrificial context a lot of the time. Sacrifices made to God. There were laws about sacrifices that you made in order to atone for your sin. And so when people violated God's law, God's commands, it was like they had separated themselves from him. So atonement literally means at one, bringing back together that which had been torn apart by sin. There were different ways of offering these sacrifices to atone for sin and additional ways to worship God through these ritual offerings in the Old Testament. And you could read about them in great, great detail. Lambs were used for a variety of sacrifices, including sin offerings. If someone brings a lamb as their sin offering, they are to bring a female without defect. We read this in Leviticus 4. They are to lay their hand on its head and slaughter it for a sin offering at the place where the burnt offering is being slaughtered. Then the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering and pour out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. They shall remove all the fat just as the fat is removed from the lamb of the fellowship offering. And the priest shall burn it on the altar on top of the food offerings presented to the Lord. In this way, the priest will make atonement for them for the sin they have committed and they will be forgiven. Woo, getting Levitical on us today. Now, does this seem foreign to you? As we read that, did you kind of, you know, do some of that? A lot of description of blood and what to do with it. 
Parts of the Old Testament can be difficult to sort through. And I think passages like this beg the question, well, why does, why does God require sacrifice? Later in the book of Leviticus, we read this. For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Sin is so serious, it has disastrous consequences. Not only with our neighbor, which we can usually detect, but with God, it, it disturbs, it, it destroys, it erodes our relationship with God. And sometimes that's a little more nebulous to understand. And so God instituted these sacrifices to show that sin has a cost. Sin leads to death. And in the sacrificial death of sin offerings, that cost is made tangible. Now note that the animal being sacrificed had to be without defect. You couldn't just like bring the dingy one or the one with the limp, <laughs> right? I mean, I'm not trying to be cute. I mean, it had to be without defect. In other words, this is gonna cost you something. And again, in an agricultural society, your livestock meant so much. It was your whole livelihood. And beyond that, these, these were people who had raised little lambs. I mean, folks thought they were cute 3,000 years ago, not just now. And so I'm not trying to, let me just pile on you here. I'm not trying to drum up any terrible memories, but anybody who has is, who is, had to have a pet put down, I mean, how many worse car trips to the vet can you, like, how many worse car trips can you imagine? How many worse things could you list on what you had to do in a day? And that's just a terrible thing to have to do. And so people would understand through this very serious cost of one of their prized lambs that sin is very serious. It would cost you significantly. And it was through this sacrificial system of laws and rituals of atonement that people were formed to understand that God is holy and that when we disobey, there's a cost to make right what has been separated. Much later in the New Testament, Paul, who we talked about last week, he writes, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. The purpose of the law was, would be revealed to show us just how incapable we were as humans of escaping the cycle of worship, disobedience, sacrifice. And on and on it would turn. God, I'll, I'll, I want to make atonement for my sin and it'll never happen again next week. God, here I am again. I mean, we understand that cycle. Worship, disobedience, sacrifice. We'll return to this concept soon. Lambs had another major role in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible. Still related to sacrifice as one of the key elements of the celebration of Passover. This was one of the main Jewish holidays that's still celebrated today. This commemorated Passover, the escape from Egypt of the Hebrew slaves, of the people of Israel. The Lord would send an angel to kill the firstborn Egyptian child in retaliation for Pharaoh's refusal to release them from slavery. Again, so brutal. It especially sounds tough if you're on Pharaoh's side, but something we don't often pause to consider is how many Hebrew children had Pharaoh murdered for Egypt's cause of slavery? Impossible to know. So we read this in Exodus 12. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, 
one for each household. The animals you choose must be your old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides of the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. It is the Lord's Passover. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. And so all of this would have been very well known to everyone within earshot of John the Baptist proclaiming, behold, the Lamb of God. They would have known all of that imagery that we have to catch up on. For the Jews, lambs were also a symbol of deliverance from death. And in the New Testament, Paul bridges the sparing of God's wrath through the lamb and the purpose of Jesus' time on earth. This is from 1 Corinthians 5. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So these are explicitly linked from the Old Testament to the New. And there are other times when the New Testament authors make explicit connections with Jesus being the Lamb of God. This is from 1 Peter. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Does that sound familiar? Peter is equating Jesus as being without sin as the only fit sacrifice. And I know I keep saying this, but more on this later. The image of Jesus as a lamb slain, but then victorious and exalted is all throughout the book of Revelation. That's the last book of the, the, the Bible. 29 out of the 45 times that the, that the word lamb is used in the New Testament is in Revelation. I told you we could spend a whole weekend on this. The letters of Paul and Peter affirm what John the Baptist testified to, that Jesus is the Lamb of God. And this is now imagery that we have examined. But what function does Jesus serve as the Lamb of God? What function does Jesus serve as the Lamb of God? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, maybe as we've read these kind of bizarre texts from Leviticus and Exodus, you might be wondering, as I have, well, why is the Bible so brutal? Well, the Bible was written in a, bru in a brutal time. So when we read these things, my faith is actually confirmed by these odd, brutal texts because it reflects the world at the time. And I don't think we should get so chronologically snobbish, right, as if we've come so far. Like, we still live in a brutal world. We're just more efficient at it. Any of the headlines will tell us that. What's going on in Europe, the awful things that happened in that school in Olathe. I mean, we've just figured out more efficient ways to be brutal. Now, we will explore this more in the coming weeks of why Jesus had to die a brutal death. It wasn't God that invented crucifixion. It was the Romans. We're going to talk about all of that. Buckle up, baby. God used the occasion meant for Jesus' death to take away sin. We read this in 2 Corinthians 5. God made him who had no sin to be for us, to be sin for us, excuse me, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
and, and if you read this in a Bible, there's one of those little itty bitty letters after this sentence. And then you go down to the bottom and you say, well, what are they saying? And it indicates that there's another way of translating the same verse. So I get another shot at saying it. It says this, God made him who had no sin to be a sin offering for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Sin has a cost. It's blood that makes atonement for one's life. And on the cross, Jesus became the spotless lamb without blemish who came from God and was offered as the sacrifice to atone for our sin, that we would be seen in God's eyes without blemish because our sins have been erased. As we've mentioned, the Bible's divided into two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And kind of a synonym for testament is covenant. And so it's not inaccurate to say that the Bible could be referred to as the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. So under the Old Covenant, that's a promise, an agreement, you know, the covenant of marriage. Uh, in your neighborhoods, do you have deed covenants, things like that? And these are, this is even more serious than your, your HOA, right? Covenants, we understand this concept as a promises between two parties. So under the Old Covenant, between God and the people of Israel, your status before God was determined by following the law of Moses. That was some of the things we read. 677 laws in total. When you sinned and broke God's law, you followed the sacrificial system to atone for your sin. And the story of the old covenant is humans failing at this over and over and over. And so at the last supper, when Jesus instituted communion, the sacred meal in his memory, he took a cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Matthew's gospel adds, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And so this new covenant means that our standing with God is no longer dependent on what we have sacrificed for God because of our sin, but on the sacrifice that God made for us. Once for all, the book of Hebrews says. And so this begs the question, well, like, why, this, how does this make sense? Does God have to, like, pay himself back? This is the cross-examination part. Okay, though, we read that, that Jesus made a sacrifice once for all, but who was he making it to? God was God. If we believe Jesus is God, why did God have to pay himself back? How does this make sense? Well, if we're estranged from God by sin and it requires blood for atonement, like was God so mad that he killed Jesus who was also God, right? I mean, just your mind can just go wild with this stuff. And so what I would propose to you is that the crucifixion, Jesus' death on the cross was not God the Father being so outraged that he took out his wrath on God the Son. But instead, friends, the miracle of the gospel the good news is that the Father provided the offering for us that we could never produce for ourselves. God the Son volunteered his life for our sake. Jesus said in John 10, no one takes my life from me, I lay it down of my own accord. And so the, the, the forgiveness of sins had a great price. And to me, this isn't brutal, it's beautiful. That God used the cross, which people meant for evil, 
but God used it as the intersection between the old and new covenants with Jesus as the lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. This is summed up very nicely in Hebrews chapter nine. How much more then will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. He has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Were you ready for some big boy, big girl Bible study today? Amen. And, and so all this, you know, this is why we're spending weeks and weeks on this. Because this is, this is crucial to the message of Jesus. What happened on the cross? How was it that Jesus became the Lamb of God? And so to kind of put a bow on this thing, I want to offer you an analogy, which is still imperfect, but it's kind of how I try to think of holding this together in my mind. I've got a picture of a guitar that my dad uh, financed for me, the Fender JG26SE. That was a big deal when I was in 10th grade. And he financed it from Chivalbine's Music in downtown Cape Girardeau. And so we agreed to a payment plan and then I would pay my dad, I owed my dad a debt and I would pay it back from the allowance I got from my chores. And believe it or not, every once in a while I had me a little music gig. And so if I had a little gig money, I'd pay it back through that. Now I'm not like these guys up here, but in 10th grade, I could do a little something, believe it or not. <laughs> and so we believed through a payment plan. This is, this is the serious conclusion, babe. <laughs> so we agreed to a payment plan and uh, was working on that. You know, 400 bucks is a lot of money to a 10th grader. And a couple months went by and one day I came home from school and my dad said, hey, I went down and paid off your guitar. It's all yours. And, and so it was my dad who had originally set the terms for my repayment, but then also provided the means to forgive the debt Again, this is, this is not a perfect analogy and they all break down at some point. But my dad not only determined what was owed, but then determined that it would be forgiven. Friends, the good news of Jesus is that we don't have to earn our way back out of debt with God. All we have to do is receive the grace that is offered us because sin had a cost Forgiveness had a price. Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And everybody said, amen. amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the chance to be together and to hear from your word. Sometimes we struggle to understand, God, what all of this imagery of, of blood and sacrifice and, and uh, some of the the tough realities that we read described, we can struggle to make sense of it all. So God, help us understand that you gave us the law so that we would know just how incapable we were. 
of bridging the gap between our sinfulness and your holiness. And God, over the thousands of years that we struggled as a people to achieve it on our own and repeated the cycle of worship and disobedience and sacrifice, that out of that toil, out of that struggle, you sent your son to rescue us, who offered us a new covenant. God, if we came in here thinking that we have to do X, Y, Z to earn your love, to get off the bad list, however we perceive that in our minds, God, help us to leave that at the door. God, it's so hard for us to understand in a world that makes us earn everything, salaries, grades, paid time off, a spot on the team, a spot in the band. We are in a totally results-oriented, earning society. God, it doesn't make sense to us on some level that your love would just be given, offered graciously. God, help us marvel at the good news that our standing with God doesn't depend on what we've done for you, but on what you have done for us through the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. God, help us receive this good news again as if for the first time that all we would need to do is not offer you the things in our hands, but simply open them to receive the grace that you've already demonstrated through Christ our Lord. Amen.